for joining us for another amazing message from C3 Church Calgary. Our hope is that our podcast will equip and connect you to Jesus. Now prepare your hearts to receiving something new from God today. thank you this morning that as we get to worship you very freely, that we can surrender to you, Lord, those places that can't escape your watchful eye. So, Lord, I thank you this morning that you can reprogram our, not just our minds, but our hearts, Lord. We thank you that as we submit to you, Lord, things become new and fresh. So, Father, in these next few moments together, I thank you that you will instruct us because we want to be instructed and that you would lead us because we want to be led and that you would, by your spirit, Lord, create within us, Lord, a brand new place and a brand new space for worship to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, worship team. Weren't they awesome this morning leading us? It's really, 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 really great. Right. Well, well, we are, we are really Canadian. We love the snow, eh? Hey, hey. I reckon we do. We love the snow. And um, I'm, just, uh, I'm just really glad to be here this morning. And um, I want to mention a, 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 a really phenomenal ministry that uh, has been, uh, had a huge impact on Kelly and myself. Is any, are you all familiar with LL Ministries? Yeah. Mary. Marion and Alexander have been such a blessing to so many in the body of Christ across uh, Calgary and outside of Calgary. And um, so one of the things that they do is they have healing retreats, they have discipleship schools right out there in Didsbury. And what a blessing that is for us that they can be part of our body. So we thank you very much for all you're doing for the body of Christ. It's really true. Um, we're, We're changing themes this month, which we do kind of monthly, whether we like it or not. And I, I tend to be just a tad uh, not resistant. I, we need to keep things changing. But um, I'm going to, this week and next week, be speaking about relationships. And uh, on the third week, we're going to have a panel. The fourth week, I'll wrap it up. And then next month, we're going to, our theme is one by one. Uh, W-O-N by O-N-E. So that's going to be great, ramping up to Easter. So that's going to be very, very exciting. So... Um, Today I want to talk about some uh, relationships just in general, and if you've been around uh, for a reasonable amount of time, there'll be a little bit that might be repetition to you, but that's okay. That's, a, that's one way of learning by repeating things, and so I'm going to repeat a few things probably. I only know so much, and, um, and, uh, but I'm going to take a couple of those um, things that uh, I guess I would call kind of um, um, anchor points or truths and then just build on them uh, today. So uh, I maybe want to mention one other thing, and that is um, some of the, I think we have some of the best uh, family ministry in all of Calgary. And our whole department, the the children's department, is doing such a phenomenal job. Um, 
they, they need a, uh, always need helpers back there and volunteers. And, um, and so if you're interested in being part of what's really happening in the church here, you should be help out in, in the children's department. Just excuse me again. Tape that down so it doesn't move. Uh, some, sadly, many mornings we have to turn people away from the children's department because we don't have enough leaders to children ratio. And so um, it's a really important uh, and, and not always that visible area of our church. So I just want to r- remind us of that. All right, let's talk about relationships just a little, little bit here. I'll, I'll get it, I'll get it, it's okay. One is the loneliest number that you'll ever hear. We were designed, it's not good for man to be alone, it's what the Bible says. So uh, I think it, it was John Wesley that said, give me, give me 10 men that hate sin and love God and I'll change the world. We do things together. We're designed to live in community. God not just loves relationship, he is relationship, three in one. And so trying to figure out how to make relationships really work in life um, I think Jesus was a relational expert long before Dr. Phil came along. That he has, he really has the answers for us and we look in the Bible to find our clues about relationships. I've entitled my message this morning, Empowering Relationships. I've learned, uh, I have learned that we're all visual learners. That it's actually not enough to say that you love somebody, you actually need to demonstrate it. Love that's not experienced is really useless. You need to experience it. Something needs to be done. And words, while there, it's, it is important that you, I think we remind people with our words, I think it's much more powerful to demonstrate our love. And that's why God's love is an experience. It's what it is. So when we look at, when we're looking at um, relationships, um, I think it's important that we look through the scriptures to understand where re- what relationships are about, where they come from. And uh, if you've been on the planet for any length of time, you'll know that some of the deepest pain in life is relational pain. It goes the deepest, hurts the most. But the Bible gives us clues on how to be healed. Jesus is the one who can bind up brokenhearted people. He's the only one that can really do that. So when I, I was thinking about our topic and I was more thinking about not the things I've learned but the things I'm trying to practice and after 60 years on this little blue marble, you should have learned some stuff but you, we, only, we only really believe the stuff that we practice on a regular basis. Uh, there was a time about three years ago where I thought I wanted to embody uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the the... The, the, the chapter on love. And I got to, I said, so what I thought I would do is I would just take the verbs and I would make them my, that would be my silent and personal exercise for that week or that month. And once I got that nailed, I'd move on to the next one. Silly me. The Bible, first of all, says that love is patient. Failed. So I thought, well, let's just move on to the next one. Love is kind failed. So I gave up on that experiment <laughs> because, and very simply, what I often tell young couples about having a, a great marriage, because getting, getting married is a fairly easy procedure, but staying married is a bit more of an art. Staying happily married for a lifetime is like, you have to have superpowers to do that. 
And, um, but I honestly, I just tell them just a couple of things. And one of the things that I think would improve all relationships if we would just be polite. I know, honestly, like just, just be polite. Be kind, be polite. Um, I wrote down four things that could improve every relationship. The first one would be learn to apologize. Second would be uh, say thank you. The third one would be listen. And then the fourth would be just be polite. So, so for me, I'm just thinking about how are we going to attack this this time? Well, let me give you four basic convictions that I have about relationships. And let me weave these into our talk this morning. A little bit of a hearty introduction, but I'm going to go someplace with it this morning. Four things that I know about all relationships. First of all, they were all designed to heal us. Relationships were meant to heal us. Um, this is the reason why we're wounded in relationships. Uh, and, and, um, but, but in the beginning, we were, when God put man and woman together and he puts us in community, um, they're designed to heal us. When, when God wants to teach you something, he'll bring somebody into your life. When God wants to advance you or promote you, he brings somebody into your life. Um, so, so they were all designed to heal us. Secondly, second thing that I know about all relationships is that they will determine the quality of your life. Often when we ask somebody, how are you doing? They'll answer in relation to their relationships. Typically they will. There's not one of us here who would say that you can be a success in life and be terrible at relationships. Find somebody who's made a lot of money who looks successful, but if they don't have good relationships, we'd have to go, hmm, because the quality of our life is determined by the quality of our relationships. Thirdly, um, relationships demonstrate God's truths. Truth and doctrine basically as unproven until it's exercised in the context of a relationship. So, so you've got a great truth. If you can't, if that doesn't work in your relationships, it's just a nice idea. I believe that all truth and all doctrine is worked out in the context and demonstrated in the context of relationships because we're relational beings. And the fourth thing I think about all relationships is they are mirrors. I know we hate this idea. I personally do. That makes relationships the best learning opportunity that we'll have. Now we have to be willing to be taught. And so this is, this is for me, been a, a, a huge revelation. And um, I don't know, for all of us who are married, I'll probably touch on marriage next week, maybe, maybe not, I, but, but some, for some of us, we get the goofy idea that marriages were meant to make us happy. It's not, it's not even close. But they are meant to mature us and heal us and fulfill us. And they, they do have, fulfill a, an extremely powerful function in, in community. I think, I think our revelation of marriage is, this, is our revelation of church. If you don't have a revelation of church, you won't have a good revelation of marriage because in Ephesians chapter five, he says that this is what I'm speaking about when I speak about marriage. I'm really speaking about the relationship of Christ and his church. So those, those two revelations go together. Um, I, I remember late in, in my teen years uh, how a asking myself one weekend, how am I ever gonna deal with this selfishness in my life? Marriage. <laughs> Who'd have thought? So along came Kelly. Um, 
so understanding our relationships and how to function relationships, and, um, and I think that people don't, f- they don't fail in your relationships because you don't try, but we don't put effort, the effort, uh, sorry, lack of effort is not the cause of damaged relationships, we're putting that effort in the wrong direction. And so practice never makes perfect, it does make permanent though. And being willing to change some of the things we do, um, I think is a part of finding um, a quality in life. All right, so, a quality of our relationships determine the quality of our life. This morning I want to talk about empowering relationships. What I, what I primarily mean is recovering our power of choice. That makes us powerful. Relational pain, I think, mostly is perceptual. So when you end up in a relational situation, maybe Holy Spirit, you can bring to mind some relationships that need to be healed this morning. Maybe you could bring that across our imagination while the pastor's preaching. Amen. I just prayed on your behalf right there. So, so, what, what, so here, what I've learned is that what I, what I know of the truth is largely my perception of that truth. It may not really be the truth. It's just my perception of it. And the only way that we get our perception straight and true and accurate is by coming to Christ, who is the truth. So if relational pain is largely perceptual, where do perceptions come from? Perceptions come from our experiences. And when we, once we have an experience, connected to an experience is some information. And that, and that with the information, with that, so the, and then the information we get from our experiences help us make decisions. If the, if the information that we get from our experience is incorrect, then our decisions are going to be incorrect. Are you tracking with me? Because once a situation happens, then you come to a conclusion, oh, this is why it happened. When so, an experience happens, you're like, oh, that's the reason it happened. And so we be, come to conclusions, and then those conclusions become our perceptions. And now our choices are based not on truth, but our perception of that truth. This is how our core beliefs are formed. This is where your core beliefs come from, from our experiences. Regardless how it plays out, the common root in relational pain, I submit to you, is answers, it asks, asks and answers one of these questions. The problem is outside of myself. I am not responsible. I have no control over these events, and this is someone else's fault. What, so as long as I can put some blame on somebody else, then I no longer have to make any adjustment in my life. Let me just go back to remind us that I think that relationships are mirrors. And they bring things to our attention. Jesus gave a, a, a stellar talk on speck spotting. And when I spot some speck in someone else's eye, the, the, what's really going on is it's revealing and exposing something that's really in me. Has anybody ever read that about the speck and the log? You see the speck, right? The little, the little bit, and you've got like the whole thing in your life. But you think, oh, that speck. Right, we become spec spotters. So here's what we've, we've just picked this up and, and uh, in our home and we just say like, you spot it, you got it. That's, that's what it comes down to. So when you're sitting, you should try this. Honestly, Jesus is onto something here. It, this has worked for me like 100%. You'll notice somebody, gosh, they got wild eyebrows. Well, look in the mirror. It, it just works 100%. And you look, you say, gosh, those people, oh, these, these people, they're so unthankful. Well, what's the invitation? For you to 
go back in your day, in your week, and say, well, by the way, how thankful am I? This is, so what happens in, when we get into relationships? They're designed to heal us. But we have to be willing to be healed. Are you with me? We got to be willing to be taught. So you get into a, a situation, you say, boy, you know, that, that, that wife, you play, she's not very loving. Uh-huh, what's the, what's the answer to that? She doesn't have to change. Do you understand? Or he doesn't have to change. The ball's in your court. It's always your move. It's called the golden rule. Radical. Radical. That we're to do unto others as we'd like done unto us. Man, I could use a little more back rubs. What should you be doing? Are you, so this is, this is basic, this relationships kind of 101. Okay, having understood that, let me just take it to another level for us. Because I think that there's, a, there's some pursuits in our life like finding our purpose and finding our passion, this, which can become really selfish uh, pursuits. But let me submit to you that I think what's more important than finding our purpose is finding our people. And when we find the people that God has called us to be part of, our purpose will just emerge. The, the convergence of your people, when you find your people, that convergence of that with your purpose and with your passion gives you a fulfilled and awesome life. But I want to talk today about instead of trying to discover your purpose, which can be a very selfish pursuit, what about how important it might be to find your people? And because, when God, because he's designed that we be connected to some people. And once we find our people, we need to commit to those people. Bible calls certain relationships covenantal relationships that we're willing to, where there should be a little bit of blood. So here's, here's my story, and, and they didn't get this on the overhead today because I didn't finish this until yesterday morning, well, until this morning, really, but. So, so um, it's the story of Ruth, and most of you know this story. It, but it's the story of someone who found her people. It's a beautiful story. There's only, there's two books of the Bible that are named after women, Ruth and Esther. Esther is about a Jewish woman who married a Gentile king. Ruth is about a Gentile woman who married a, uh, a Jewish or a Hebrew farmer. And this is the story of somebody who's found their people. Um, uh, I'm amazed that this story also reveals one other piece of finding our destiny, and that's finding your place. Place was really important here because um, they end up in a place called Bethlehem. Does that ring any bells for anybody? She found her people, she found her purpose, and she found her place. But I want to talk about specific about finding your uh, people. And, and many times this passage is read during um, weddings about I will, um, I'll go wherever you go and I'll live wherever you live. But this is about a mother and a daughter-in-law. So that, that's what the story is about. And very interesting, the book ends with a genealogy. I think that's important. There's 41 genealogies in the, in the Bible, but this one, end, rather than at the beginning of the book, it's at the end of the book. I think that's important because I believe that we're designed to be in family and in genealogy and that God has a generational interest and that the promises are generational. So she wraps it up by showing this woman not only found her destiny, but she became the great-great-grandmother of uh, Jesus. 
So it's an interesting story. It starts off a little rough. In those days when the judges ruled in Israel, a man from Bethlehem in Judea left the country because of a severe famine. Took his wife, two sons, went to live in Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. That's kind of rolls off your tongue. I think there was a song that actually had this in. Elimelech, 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 Elimelech. So it kind of has a roll to it. Elimelech. But it starts off like many movies start out, a little bit rough. There's a famine. Uh, there's a famine in the land. So there's a crisis. And Elimelech and Naomi set out from Bethlehem, and they go to Moab. Mom's happy. Things are tough. But she's happy. She's married. She's fertile. She's got two sons, which was huge back then. Of course, this was your social security. If you couldn't marry, you didn't have, nobody could look after you, which I still think is right, that our kids should look after us as we get older. <laughs> still think that's right. But they were living in Bethlehem, and a famine showed up, but they had enough money to go to Moab, so they're actually in a fairly good place, fairly happy place, a few struggles, but she's found a good man, had a couple of kids, they seem to behave okay, bit of cash, uh, so we're good, the Canadian dream, with, with, but, but not much room for pain. All of a sudden, stuff turns, and, 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 and all of this, this, these things happen in Moab. Elimelech dies, and Naomi was left with her two sons, verse three. Verse four, the two sons marry Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, where Oprah got her name, but they couldn't spell during that. And the other, a woman named Ruth. So I, I, don't, I think this should be named R Naomi, the boy, rather than Ruth, but because Naomi is like this life coach that coaches her daughter-in-law along, and it's really, it's a, it's a powerful story. The other is named Ruth, but, uh, uh, but about 10 years later, both the sons die, and this is one of the most heartbreaking lines in the entire scripture. Then, sorry, this left Naomi alone without her son, so without her husband and without her sons. Okay, so is there life after loss? Good question. Because these are, these are desperate circumstances. So what does she do? This is, this is phenomenal. Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave they, Moab and return to their homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. I love that passage. They, the word Judah means praise. So she decided to take the road that led to praise. Is there life after loss? Is there life after a difficult circumstance? Is there life after what seemed to be going so awesome turns desperate? Is there hope in the desert? The, the topic of all last month's talks. Absolutely there is. That you are not a victim of your circumstance. You always get to choose your attitude. Seems tough. Seems harsh. The guys are dropping like flies. But she took the road that would lead them back to Judah. And on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's home instead of coming with me. And may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. And may the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. And then she kissed them goodbye. And they all broke down and wept. It's just, it's just like a big puddle of tears. It's a mess. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. What's the decision? 
I'm talking about empowering relationships. There's no force involved here. No guilt. There's no form of manipulation or control. She's just laying it down, giving them, showing them what's up. She, I think you should go back. And they said, no, we want to go to be with your people. Then your people will be my people. It's a, it's a beautiful story. Naomi replied, well, why would you want to come with me? Can I still have more sons who would grow up to be husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' home, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible to have sons, would you wait for them to grow up? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more better for me than you because the Lord caused this, this, uh, me to suffer. And again, they wept, another big puddle of tears and a whole bunch of emotion together. And then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth insisted on staying with Naomi. See, Naomi said, your sister-in-law's gone back to her people and to her gods, small g. Uh, you should do the same. But Ruth said, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. This is a beautiful, now very moving passage. We should have a cello playing as I read this. I'll go wherever you go and I'll live wherever you live. Your people will be my people. What had happened? She's found her people. Have you found your people? Have you found your people yet? Your tribe? There's a tribal DNA in us. Have you found your people? She says, your people will be my people. Your God, big G, will be my God, big G. I will die where you die, be buried there, and may the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. So when Naomi saw that Ruth had made up her mind, she didn't force her to go with her, she stopped urging her. And the two of them continued on their journey to go to Bethlehem. Is there life after loss? This is a wonderful scene as they're shuffling down the dusty road from Moab back to Bethlehem because what they're about to do, and, and, and they wouldn't have known it at the time, but they're about to become part of the genealogy of the, the messianic genealogy and be part of King David's line. And it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful, wonderful story. So um, uh, the other thing that's uh, amazing to me is that, um, that she, is a, she is a Moabitess in the line of a Gentile in the line of King David. This is interesting. And uh, she marries, ends up marrying Boaz, who is the son of Rahab, the harlot. We see that in Matthew 1 and verse 5 from Jericho. And now the, the uh, bloodline of David's great-grandma was a Moabitess, and his great-grandfather was a half-Canaanite. This is wonderful for me. The result of that one relational choice affected every one of us here today. It connects Ruth to the destiny of the Redeemer. Because her, of her connection with Naomi, she connected to the bloodline of the Redeemer. And we all need a Redeemer. The Bible says that we need someone to rescue us or redeem us. God can forgive anyone. He forgave a Moabitess. And he can give you a fresh start, just as Ruth needed redemption, so we need redemption. It's a beautiful story unfolds about her curling up at the feet of her kinsman redeemer, which you and I, as we come to faith in Christ, we do something much the same. We come to our redeemer, we submit ourselves at his feet, which part of worship, part of surrendering our life, and we do the same thing. She found her people. I just need to say uh, three things about this about finding our people. First of all, when you find your people, you need to commit to your people. This, this type of relationship was quite unique. 
It actually has a bit of a parallel to what Judas did because he was, he was implying when he kissed Jesus that he was in covenant with Jesus. But the problem was he couldn't pay the price of the covenant. When he realized out of his selfishness that he wasn't able to follow through with his part of the covenant, he betrayed Christ instead. What with a kiss? Not just a picture of intimacy, the picture of covenant. She has made covenant. This is a very unique relationship. It's happened throughout scripture. You'll see a number of people. David and Jonathan had a very similar relationship. Harley and Davidson have the same relationship. <laughs> it's covenantal. But for many of us, we find that relationships are based on convenience, not covenant. And as soon as they become uncomfortable and cost us a little bit too much, we bail. A biblical pattern for us is to find the people or the person that God has called us to be around and we commit to them. And they now be, become an authorized voice in our life. When you find your people, commit to your people. Submit to your people. We don't, I don't mean lose your mind and just mindlessly do whatever they say, but do you have somebody in your life who is cheering for you, who believes in you, who shares your heart and your vision for life, and if need be, they can correct your course? I believe God places people like that around every one of us, and it's up to us to accept them when they come into our life. There'll be somebody around you that, that has, you admire them, you admire either their wisdom or their counsel, but when they give you counsel, I want to know, have you taken it? And have you made the necessary course correction? Is there an authoritative voice within your life? For many of us, that begins with our parents, but it may not end with our parents. For them, that she left her parents and was given somebody else to be an authorized voice in her life. May God give each one of us an authorized voice, which I believe he has, and us have the courage to receive that voice into our life. And we find voices. There's lots of voices. The question I would have for each one of us, who is the authoritative voice in your life who can give you a course correction and you'll take it? I found this to be incredibly enlarging for me. Whenever I'm asking Lord for a decision, I ask him for some direction. You know what he does? He puts people in my life because I actually am not that clear to be able to hear. I need it to come through somebody else's vocal cords often. And if we're open, when he, when he says, the psalmist said, the Lord's my shepherd, I won't want for anything. If you want for something, maybe you're not being led by the shepherd. And he uses other people. Is there somebody who you recognize Jesus in that you'd be willing to accept their counsel in your life? Is there someone like that? I tell people when they show up here, um, because in the Bible it says, my sheep hear my voice. Who is it that you can hear the voice of the shepherd through? But because, it, because we become, I'm, I'm concerned about our level of spiritual voyeurism where we would prefer to hear a voice on the computer or on the television rather than in person. And we just rather, and, and get face to face and actually have to interact with people. What's the problem when, with hang, being part of a church? We find out that we're part of a whole community of broken people. And we just like to rather maybe remove ourselves from them and just watch, you know, Joel Osteen online or Stephen Furtick or whoever, you know, fill in the space. But something changes when we move out of that voyeurism state and we get mixing in with people and we find, ooh, they're like this and like this. Here's the point, that God's trying to refine you, not them. You have power over one person, you. 
And when we get into community, we find this is just like, you wonder, we all wonder, how do porcupines reproduce? <laughs> Isn't that the big question? <laughs> we need David, David Attenborough to help us with that. But he was, you know what, so, and how do they keep warm in the winter, right? You get close, you get pricked, you move, right? yeah. This is what happens when we come into community. This is what happens when we get married. This is what happens when we have kids. Silence. <laughs> this is what happens when we invite people over for supper. We realize, gosh, they got some goofy ideas. Yeah, you're, the Lord's trying to teach you tolerance. How's that going? They got different beliefs than you. They dress differently than you. They smell different than you. Yeah, that's the point. It's okay. Your smell isn't perfect. Your ideas aren't perfect. Hello. So we get together and we realize, heck, this is a lot of work. Well, you've got an option. You either live with loneliness and remove yourself or else you roll up your sleeves and dive in and say, let's work this out. And rather than judging people, you learn to love people. When you find your people, commit to your people. There's a cost involved. There's a cost involved of being together and covenanting and um, laying down our lives. Jesus invited us to take up our cross bring it along on the journey. I don't know about you, I just, sometimes I just leave the cross behind. It doesn't mean, it, when he says, take, take up your cross, he's not referring to physical death. But he is referring to putting other people's needs and desires before your own. It's a huge problem because we want to satisfy our own needs. Um, unselfish love is able to, and this is, this is the love that never fails is able to give. I know along the line you say, well, hey, well, what about me? When's I get a little bit of that back? Now, let's be patient. There's more where that came from. When we take up our cross, the cross has to do with things dying. So when we, when we pick up, we're to take our cross. No, he doesn't say take up my cross. Jesus didn't ask us to carry his cross. He carried that himself. But you have, you've got some things you need to get on the cross. What, what is that? The ability to lay down our life for another takes courage. The idea of losing myself to another is extremely counterintuitive. Find the next thing is that she's able to take an instruction. The ability to take an instruction was a turning point of her life. Many say that chapter three in Ruth is the most important chapter in the Old Testament. She said, I'll do everything that you say Your life is always your choice. Ruth always had a choice. I see a confident woman who sees destiny in relationship. It basically comes down to choice. What happens when we find obstacles in life? Obstacles in life will always reveal your beliefs if you're willing to face them. Your, your life is always your choice. Thirdly, we need to look inside. One of the most profound statements in the New Testament is Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10. It says, you are complete in Christ. Hey, don't I need my wife to complete me? Not apparently, but you do need Christ. To place what you can get from Christ on your spouse is an inappropriate uh, request and expectation. Most things we can only find in Christ. Everything we need is provided in Christ. And it's always a danger to look outside and expect them to satisfy the desires of our hearts. Relationships will expose and magnify unhealed areas of our hearts. 
they reveal our beliefs. Your behaviors are the result of your beliefs. You won't be able to change a behavior until you change a belief. Oh, you can do it for maybe once or twice. You can verbalize it a bit. But until you change your core beliefs, you won't be able to change your behavior. To expect someone to change behavior, is just, it, 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 which is just cruel. That's why, why wanting someone to change is the worst form of rejection. Aren't I okay just the way I am? That's how, that's how Jesus loves us, just the way we are. And then he loves us into a place of healing. That's an incredible relationship. Remember, there's no perfect relationships and perfect relationships aren't real. And the last one is stay teachable. Seek a mentor, other voices, wise counsel. It works and it's worth it. I think that the end of the book of Ruth, and when you read the end of it and you see the, the genealogy, I think it reminds us that the decisions we make actually rip and ripple down through the generations. And the, and the giants that you don't fight in your life, your kids will have to fight. So I think that one of the best ways to discover what are the giants in our world is to get into a committed relationship and let them get exposed. The idols of our hearts, this big idol of self, this big idol of ego. And here's what we begin to learn is we, we begin to realize I've discovered that insecurity and low self-esteem are really just sneaky forms of pride. You can, ju you can just use that as an excuse if you're not careful. I well, I just, I'm just shy. Uh, you know you're selfish because you're thinking of yourself more than someone else. Yeah, well, what will people think? Yeah, that's the point. Once, you could, once we become more God-conscious than self-conscious, we'll actually do some pretty wild things. So I've asked the Lord to... to <laughs> Listen, I, I, some, I'm, I'm embarrassed with some of the ways I've prayed for my relationships. But here's the first thing the Holy Spirit will share to, say, say to me. He won't, he, won't, he won't talk about this other person. He'll say, okay, but what about you? And this is a hard thing. This morning, if you're in a challenging relationship, like challenging, you've got a choice. What are you going to do? Are we going to allow the wise counsel of the counselor within us do stuff like forgive, you might need to write a letter. You might need to go face to face. You might need to pick up the phone. This is so powerful. But once the counselor gets, once we invite him to direct us and lead us, crazy thing happens. He does. But we have to have ears to hear what his spirit is saying. And, we, and, and often it sounds like, oh, you know, get thee behind me. You don't want me to do that. Do you? It's, it'll always require something more of you. You want to get healed from relational pain, you're going to have to do something a little different and break some sort of a pattern, break some sort of a perception and step beyond your selfishness and move into other-centeredness. This, this is a big step. I wonder if the Holy Spirit's speaking to anybody this morning. Um, I'm just going to invite the worship team back and we're going to close. Um, and I think, I think what I'd like us to do, because my hunch is that all of us, maybe not everybody this morning, but we all deal with relational pain on some level. And let me submit the idea to say this, that a large portion is perceptual. Maybe not 100%. Yeah, I mean, what happened, her, you know, her husband dies, and sons die, but she just didn't let that stop her. That's what I love about Naomi. She's, she's, the, she's the, really the rock star of the Book of Ruth, mother-in-law. So as we, as we wrap up this morning, there's just this, 
a song that we were singing in pre-service prayers about spirit of the living God. And I, I just want to pray for all of us this morning as we, as we sing this in reflection, and I'll, I will get us to stand and just say, Holy Spirit, is there something you're trying to direct me in? Is this relationship, are you revealing something about me? So I'm going to invite the counselor to come and counsel us. And if there's a specific situation that you're facing, I'm going to believe with you for the Holy Spirit to show you uh, the next step and his strategy of binding up your broken heart. Would you just stand with me? Father, in these next few moments, as you brought people, people that you love into our minds, would you show us our part in redeeming this relationship and restoring it? Since you've given us the ministry of reconciliation, of working things out, since you have this unfailing love for your body, for your people, including us, Lord, I ask that you would direct us now in this next few moments. Holy Spirit, I welcome you to direct us and give us the next step to lead us back. Take that road to Judah, back to praise. In the name of Jesus, amen. Just take a moment as we sing together. Father, I thank you that in this moment where we can exchange some of our ashes for some of your beauty, that you are faithful. I thank you for instructing us and teaching us the way we should go. Sometimes your word is a lamp unto our feet, and other times it's a light unto our path that we can see way down the path. Other times it's just the next step. I ask that your word would direct us in the next steps that we take, Lord. I thank you for your faithfulness and your counsel, and we're willing to be taught by you. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen. We have a prayer team that's here this morning. If you're facing some things you'd like to have prayer for, whatever it is, healing or deliverance, or just someone to agree with you in prayer, our team is here, and they'll be welcome, glad to pray for you. God bless you, everybody. Through those doors walk people that have exceptional relationships. Go and change your world. You're released. This message has impacted you. For more information about what's going on, please check out our website at myc3church.ca. Now go change your world.